0: Father we thank you for your goodness And we thank you for revelation knowledge We thank you God that This message will not be robbed From your people Thank you Father for what you want to impart We open our hearts to you And we say have your way Holy Spirit you are a teacher who guides us Into all truth So we are so open to your truth Even now In Jesus name Amen. Amen. Amen Okay are you expectant I'm also expectant, because sometimes the Lord surprises me also. Sometimes I have to take notes on myself because of where the message will go. Amen. Who's from TUT here? Some of the TUT students here. Awesome. Exciting things about to happen, but we'll do the announcement next Sunday. Phenomenal things about to take place. So we've been talking about the dedicated life. And last week I began to speak on the subject, Signs of the Dedicated Life. How do we know that our lives are completely dedicated to the Lord? Amen. And so I covered the first three points. I'm not going to rehash those three points. Just please go to our website, gochurch.co.za, and I'm going to continue with point number four, point number four, five, and six. One of the ways in which we realize that we're in a place where our lives are not fully dedicated to the Lord is we are carnal and we are glorifying ourselves. And the way I'm doing this message is I'll I'll start with where many of us are at so that we recognize that we've got a problem and then I'll talk about the godly alternative. Is that okay? So carnality and self-glorification. Carnality... And self glorification. And this becomes the driving force in your life. You do what you do for your own praise and your own glory. Do you ever have it where you have to correct your children or where you have to correct adults around you and where you have to say to them, Guys, why are you saying this? And if they're honest with you, they'll say, It's for my own praise and my own glory. Sometimes if my kids are boasting, They'll say something and I'll say, okay, continue to worship yourself. Continue to glorify yourself. And we laugh because kids are very explicit when they do so. But when you look at the people around you, when you look at the people at your workplace, if we're honest with ourselves, very often our primary motive is self-glorification. And this includes boasting in the flesh. When you talk about someone being carnal, carnality is to do with your own flesh. And very often we boast In our own flesh But how many of you know that in times of personal revival If we want to make room for God Then there's no room for our own flesh The Bible says No flesh shall boast In my presence Let's look at this 1 Corinthians chapter 1 And we'll look at verse 28 to 30 He chose the lowly And despised things Of the world How many of you feel lowly? Just generally speaking, as you go through your life, you kind of feel like you're low down somewhere there. Well, if that's you, the Bible says he chose the lowly and despised things of the world. The things the world looks down on. God chose those things. You see, very often when you're a carnal Christian, what ends up happening is you strive to be like the world. You strive to be like that which is applauded by the world. But I don't know about you, but I would rather be popular with God. I'd rather be chosen by God. And the Bible says here, He chose the lowly and despised things of the world. If you want to be chosen by God, then be lowly. If you want to be chosen by God, then be comfortable being despised by the world. And it says, And the things that are not, to nullify the things that are. If you're here right now, and you're... Making plans for yourself to be appreciated by the world. The Bible talks about the promotion that comes from God. And here in scripture we see that the things that he's chosen are the things that are not. Why did he do so? To nullify the things that are. So that no one may boast in his presence. I've said to you many times before, it is possible to come to a place of worship. It is possible to come to a place of prayer. Boasting in your own confidence Boasting in your own accolades That God I've been good all week Therefore I qualify to be in your presence But when I look at scripture here It says so that no one may boast in his presence It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus Who has become for us wisdom from God Our righteousness, holiness and redemption that is a very powerful statement. Our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. One of the keys to breakthrough in our lives is what we call the dedicated life. And the way the dedicated life looks, it's a life where there's no boasting in His presence, it's a life where we're completely yielded to God. It's a life where I lay down all my crowns. I lay down everything that I've accomplished to his honor, for his honor, and for his glory. And one of the ways you know that you're not completely dedicated to the Lord Jesus is there's carnality in your life and there's self-glorification. Amen. Now, what's God's alternative to carnality? And self-glorification what's his alternative there'll be purity in the unseen the things that people cannot see you'll walk in purity in those areas you see the carnal Christian is the Christian who focuses on what can be seen the carnal Christian is the one who focuses on impression management the carnal Christian is the one who only performs when they're being watched, but when the cats are away, the mice side play. So, my question to you is there congruity between what you say and what you do? Who are you when no one is watching? You're as spiritual as your thoughts. If I could take a loudspeaker right now and put it against your thoughts, and if your thoughts could speak, would you feel embarrassed? You see, if your thoughts are pure right now, there's no embarrassment. If your thoughts are, Jesus, I love you, there's no embarrassment. But if I had a loudspeaker and I put it against your thoughts right now, would you feel embarrassed? Because you're as spiritual as your thoughts. You see, we've measured our spirituality by how we look on the outside, Mm -hmm. by how we sound On the outside But the dedicated life Is a life where we focus on the unseen You see Very often our motives The motives of our hearts Seem very pure to us But before God Heaven is not applauding Look at Proverbs 16 verse 2 This is very real. You see, I could be preaching to you and I could preach well, but my motivation for preaching well is to save myself from being embarrassed. You see, someone can sound nice in front of people, but the driver behind their behavior is they just want to save themselves from being embarrassed. And so that's why they will research and that's why they will prepare well. Can you see how subtle it is? God is calling us to do what we do for the audience of one. There's no room for the flesh. Proverbs 16, verse 1 to 2. It says, the plans of the heart belong to man. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are clean in his own sight. Some translations say pure in his own sight But the Lord weighs the motives You see very often you will judge yourself by your intention Other people will judge you by the impact of your behavior And very often we deceive ourselves concerning our intentions And that's why we need to pray the prayer like David prayed Where he says Lord search my heart And see if there's any wicked way Within it. How does God promote? Bible says in the book of Jeremiah. He examines the heart. You can have two people in a church. Doing exactly the same thing. Looking exactly the same on the outside. But the heart motive. The drivers are completely different. I believe that as we go into this time of personal revival, as we go into this time of the dedicated life, God is calling us to look at the heart condition. Yeah. Number five. One of the signs. Of a life that is not fully dedicated to the Lord is the fear of the Lord has departed I want to spend some time on this section the fear of the Lord has departed if you look at this nation the fear of the Lord has departed the way people speak about God the way people speak about Christian leaders the way people the way people speak about the Bible the fear of the Lord has departed And I believe that God is doing something. There's an awakening right now. And he's restoring the fear of God. In our families today, the fear of the Lord has departed. I believe he's calling moms, he's calling dads to rise up and to restore the fear of the Lord to our families. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14 to 15. It says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Can you see that there's a link between the fear of the Lord and being free from the fear of man? It says, do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Some of you fear men too much. Some of you, you fear perceived threats. People haven't had to come up to you and actually threaten you. But in your mind, you've imagined, in the imagination of your heart, you've imagined potential threats. But the Bible here tells us, it says, do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But, this is the antidote, in your heart's Revere Christ as Lord Revere Christ as Lord How bound are you By the fear of man right now To what extent is the fear of man Controlling decisions in your life Right now Some people have asked me Paul what's the key to your breakthroughs In all honesty, the one thing I can say is that the fear of man is not a massive struggle in my life by God's grace. Mm-hmm. And I look at a lot of Christians, very moral people. They love Jesus, but their one downfall is the fear of man. Yeah. Right. When i going to go deep into this. I remember yesterday at the wedding, I told the sound guys wearing one of these headsets, And I told the sound guy, I said, please, when we're singing the hymn, Blessed Assurance, please, 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 can you mute me so that people don't hear me? Because no one leading the worship per se. Can you please mute me? It came to the time where I said, hey, we're going to sing Blessed Assurance right now. One of the greatest hymns ever. And as we started singing, I could hear that I was not muted. (laughs) So what did I do? Did I freeze up? Did I say, what if I'm singing discords? What's going on here? No. I just did. I don't know. All the tips I've gained from people. (laughs) You know when you really try to make your voice sound nice and smooth, (laughs) blessed and assurance. But if I was bound by the fear of men, I could have panicked. I mean, if you know that the worst thing, it happened on our wedding years ago When we had this guy singing a particular song And then there was a guy singing in the, he was singing for us It was a solo, Henry Along. as some of you might remember Henry Henry Along. He was singing a wonderful song, he's got a great voice And there was someone like, you know, doing the background kind of like harmony just behind him You know, volunteering their services, I guess Yeah (laughs) And I don't know, maybe some of you sound technicians can help us. But ever since then on our wedding video, you know, you're listening to Henry Long's wonderful voice. And then there's just this sort of like person singing flat, you know, (laughs) behind him somewhere in the crowd. But how many of you know that when you're bound by the fear of man, there's certain things you won't do. God might have called you to do certain things, but you won't do them because you are bound by what people think of you. What is God's alternative Romans 3 verses 17 to 18 and the way of peace they have not known there's no fear of God before their eyes when the Bible uses that term before their eyes it's basically saying in the in their mind's eye there's no fear of the Lord in the in the imagination of their hearts There's no fear of God. It's a problem we have. In Proverbs 8 verse 13 it says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil In other words there certain practices When you're completely dedicated to the Lord There are certain practices associated with the fear of the Lord When you fear God There are things that you hate When you fear the Lord There certain jokes you don't crack Bible here says The fear of the Lord is to hate evil You know, very often as Christians, we love what is good, but we don't hate evil enough. What What has God called you to hate in this season? What has God called you to hate in your family in this season? What has God called you to hate in your industry in this season? What has God called you to hate in your school or place of education in this season? The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. I think there's certain things we need to start hating. We're talking about Signs of a dedicated life You passionately hate Certain things Proverbs 29 Verse 25 In the NIV it says Fear of man Will prove to be a snare But whoever trusts in the Lord Is kept safe Fear of man will prove to be a snare but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe I still remember in 1999 when things started between me and my wife the safer way to say it is when things started I won't go into the details of how it happened in terms of responsible party etc etc but when things started between me and my wife back in '99, I still remember as I was praying about it and seeking the Lord, I literally had a vision that night of a mouse trap. And of course, in my mind, I was thinking of the whole black-white thing and all those factors and family dynamics and so on. But I see this vision it just came before me. I'd never seen a vision like this before, and it was a snare. It was a trap. And immediately the verse came, the fear of man will be a snake. The fear of man will rob you of your destiny. Some of you right now, there are decisions you need to make, but the key issue is you are bound by the fear of man. Mm -hmm. The fear of man is where you place more weight on man's opinion and man's validation than God's. The fear of man is where you place more weight and you honor. That's what honor is, to weigh heavily. The opinion of man than God's perspective. What decisions are you not making right now because you're not completely dedicated to the Lord? Your dedication is seen in your freedom from the fear of man. I'm telling you, this is the place of promotion. In the New Living Translation, it says, fearing people is a dangerous trap. But trusting the Lord means safety. How many of you want to be in a place where you just feel secure? Where you just feel safe? I've always said this to you The word secure comes from two Latin words Say and cura It literally means without care And too many Christians care too much About people's opinion The Bible tells us in Exodus 34 verse 14 I am the Lord and my name is jealous He's jealous And that's fine for a perfect being To say my name is jealous Because he knows what's good for us Amen Amen When you spend a lot of time analyzing and wondering what people are thinking about you God looks and he's jealous because he's thinking to himself how, how long do you ponder concerning my viewpoint, concerning you? Mm-hmm. There's a guy called Ed Welch and I like what he says he says if you need others to fill you you are controlled by them you see, that's how the fear of man becomes a snare. Because you end up controlled by that which you fear. fear. When you're afraid of something, you avoid it, don't you? What? Something that you were drawn to. Something that you wanted to do. Something that you wanted to interact with. When you're afraid of it, you avoid it. And so you're controlled by it. Are you getting this now? God wants to free us up of these things. The dedicated life Don't boast in the flesh And be free from the fear of man I'm going to go a little bit deeper So let's do a bit of an assessment I've got here 15 signs Of the fear of man How you can identify it In your life Number one You feel unnecessarily embarrassed and exposed When people are watching you There's no room for self-acceptance. See, God is taking us to a place where we abide in his love. Jesus said, remain in my love. Where you're so secure in the love that God has for you. This unconditional love, this agape. You're so secure in it. And those are your dominant thoughts. So when you go into an environment where people are looking at you, God's thoughts over you, are so much bigger and more powerful than other people's opinion. So ask yourself the question, if I feel embarrassed and self-conscious when other people are watching me, is it because I've weighed too heavily their opinion of me? And is it now controlling my mood? Is it now controlling my emotional state? God wants us to be free. And that's why you see Jesus when Pilate was speaking to him. What did Jesus do? Jesus just said, You know what? I would rather receive the honor that comes from God than from man. Elsewhere, Jesus said, Satan has nothing in me. What does that mean? Satan has nothing in me. He's basically saying the devil can't control me. Right. He's saying we've got nothing in common. But you see, if you see man as your source of promotion, If you see your boss as your source of promotion, it means you're not completely dedicated to the Lord Jesus. You see, part of my dedication to the Lord Jesus is that I see God as my source of promotion. I see God as my source of esteem. The moment you look for that in someone else, you give them room and license to control you. Number two We're talking about signs We're talking about signs of fear of man in your life The second one is this You feel unhealthily anxious around people To the point of avoidance And you know why you feel anxious You feel anxious because whenever you're around people You've got a mask on So you're always projecting that ideal image Of this is me, this is me this is me, guys, and I'm projecting this because I know that that will be accepted by you, and I need your acceptance. And that gap between what you what you are projecting out to people and what's really going on on the inside of you, that gap between the two things is an anxiety gap. It's the fear of being found out. And that's why you'll see that there's some people who never spend time with people. They say it's always stressful when I'm around people. Why is it stressful? Why is it stressful to be around that group of people but not stressful to be around that other group? It's because you can't be fully yourself when you're around that group. And that's why you feel anxious. Why can't you be fully yourself? It's because you haven't come to a place of self-acceptance. You've come to a place where you're just concerned about what they think of you. I was speaking to someone some time back and they spoke about how when their dad would visit them, they were always anxious. They weren't quite themselves and they always thought it was the, the issue was with their dad. And they said to me, Paul, I got into that performance mode that I would be in when I was still young, growing up, having to perform for my father. But they said to me recently, Paul, for the first time I realized that the issue wasn't with my dad, the issue was with me. They could just never sit down in the presence of their father and just be relaxed. That I'm okay just hanging out.
1: I'm okay just
0: vegging out. They always had to perform. And some of you have avoided certain people who God has called into your life in this season because you feel anxious around them and you'll avoid that which you fear. But the source of the anxiety is not a healthy source. Some of you have even said, I don't like being around church folk. Why don't you like being around church folk? Because you feel like you have to perform. Why? Because you've got two lives. You've got a double life. So you feel more relaxed with your worldly friends because you can be worldly and carnal with them. But when you're around church folks, you feel judged. What if they see this side of me? Well, come to a place of self-acceptance and say to them, guys, this is me. This is where I'm at in my journey with the Lord. I'm not as perfect as you guys think I am. And I'm tired of putting on the church face And then putting on the world face This is me And you'll find that that anxiety will just lift See that anxiety lifts when you level with people That was for someone Number three You struggle with peer pressure You struggle with peer pressure Peer pressure is just a euphemism For the fear of man You see, in the world, we like to call it peer pressure. But it's really fear of man, isn't it? Yeah. I know, but, but my friends want to. So what about what your friends want to do? What does God think? And guys, if we want to change nations, there's certain things we need to deal with. And can I just go a little bit deeper here? It's easy to talk about peer pressure when we're talking about friends. But there's a form of peer, peer pressure on this continent, that's very serious, and that's family pressure. I'm talking about extended family pressure. Because if you look at the traditional African worldview, what is it? How do we know what we know? Is it through the Bible? No. Very often it's based on the wisdom of the fathers. So you give advice to someone in a church setting, and you say, this is what the Word of God says. Two weeks later, they come back, and they've done the opposite thing. And you say, why did you do this? And what did they say to you? Oh, yeah, um, in our family... I know, yeah, pastor, because in our tribe And they say it so confidently Like you're supposed to understand News flash. I don't understand I don't get it When you're a Christian, you have a biblical Christian worldview And you do things according to God's word Simple as that Amen. And you have to make a decision Don't come and talk to me about Yeah, but my auntie said what? Did what, Is what your auntie said In line with the word of God And these are foundations we need to have We're real Christians. Amen? Amen. So that's family pressure. Number four, you over-rehearse or replay conversations. If you're the kind of person where before you speak to someone, you're overly rehearsing. This, I'm going to say it. Then I'm going to say it like this. Then I'm going to say it. Why are you so stressed? And then I'll do this and I'll do this. Then you do five dry runs. And it's just a friend who you need to speak to, or an unsaved boyfriend you need to say no to. <laughs> All right, just pick, pick the example that fits you. Let me do, do one dry run, two dry runs. Let me now speak to my worldly friend and say, Is this okay? Because that's who you seek counsel from. Is this okay? Is this fine? Right? You over rehearse, and then you also over replay conversations. Jesus says don't worry Don't worry Let me just explain something very quickly Do you know what fear does to you? Biologically when you're, It's what we call emotional disablers When you feel a certain way And you're full of anxiety Or really frustrated Let's say someone cuts in In the traffic That doesn't really frustrate me I'm quite a relaxed driver But I know with some people that's a good example right? Someone cuts in You feel frustrated Guess what it does? It injects all sorts of stuff. It stimulates all sorts of stuff in your physical body. And you're not that productive afterwards. Cortisol, which is your stress hormone, ends up being you know, flooding your system. And guess what? It stays there for four hours. So if you're frustrated in the morning and you're not in charge of your emotional state... Because of anxiety, whether it's because of fear of man, or whatever the source is. Guess what? If at lunchtime you then have an argument with your spouse, that's the day gone. That's like another four hours. (laughs) And you know what's scary about the way the body works? You know what's scary about it? For each of those negative emotions, for each of those negative emotions, you need three to five positive ones, good ones, to oust that stuff from your system. That's why often if you have an argument with your spouse or a friend And they say, you said that horrible thing to me But I also said this good thing to you It's not one and one The one good thing you said doesn't oust the negative thing You need three to five of the good stuff To flood the system of the negative stuff That's how it works, go and study it Go and look at emotions, you'll see that they're actually more, po- more negative ones in us human beings than positive in terms of to pick from. You'll see in terms of basic emotions, and I don't want to get distracted, but it's important. And at some stage, I'm going to preach a whole series on emotional intelligence for the believer. You see, you're not that productive when you've got all of that stuff in your system. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Let's just go a little bit deeper. Let me just say something else in terms of how your brain works.
1: The forefront, i am
0: sharing this with some people, that the, the, on the frontal cortex of your brain, right? Just, you know, frontal cortex, just imagine it, right? That's the rational part of your brain, right? right? And we use that quite a bit when we're calculating things and so on, right? But then beneath that, you've got the amygdala, the amygdala, which is the emotional center of the brain. Now, what happens is we see a whole lot of... Stimulus we, we experience a whole lot of things Now if a lion walks into this room Is there time for you To use the frontal cortex of your brain And to say Yeah actually this is a lion <laughs> Now let's see Who's Yeah fortunately I think I'm the fastest sprinter in the church Yeah Benjamin is not around Yeah okay So maybe I'll outrun the other people mm. so, There's no time to calculate it Amen so, you can't be rational about it. So, what, what does your body do? What you do? You bypass your rational side and you go straight to the amygdala. Fight or flight, isn't it? All those things you would say, I love you, my children, I love you, my wife, and it's so on. It's, there's, it's instinctive, isn't it? Sparrow! <laughs> right? Now here's the interesting thing guys About how your brain works The way your brain works is It doesn't distinguish Between a lion walking into the room And I need to run away It doesn't distinguish that From a situation where You feel mortified Where you are speaking in front of people And you realize oh my zip's down Right That same Do you ever have it when you're in front of people or in a situation and you feel so embarrassed you get stage fright? Do you ever have that? What happens emotionally? What do you say to your friends? What do you say to the people around you? I wish I could just have died. Or I wanted to crawl underneath a grain of sand. Now think about it, guys. There's a lot of stuff that happens in our lives where we have to go back to that frontal cortex and actually think through. Because if you break up with your unsaved boyfriend, you're not going to die. Hello. Are you seeing where I'm going If you make a mistake When you're doing a presentation You're not necessarily going to get fired And if you do get fired That's not the end of your life I'm saying this because I know That there are many people here who struggle with anxiety And it's not your portion Amen So you over explain yourself to people and you know why you do that? This is number five, by the way. You over-explain yourself to people. You know those people, they just want to be understood. Yeah, no, what I was actually meaning... Yeah, you know I was joking when I said that. Yeah, no, actually my kids aren't that bad. I felt terrible when I told you uh, that one was uh, being a bit naughty. But they're actually not that bad. They're actually good most of the time. I really just want you to know... Why are you over-explaining yourself? you know why? You're trying to control people's opinion of you. You're trying to control... People's opinion of you. You see the fear of man becomes a snare. Because it causes us to be manipulative. Yes. It causes us to do all sorts of things. Because we are so worried. About how other people see us. Number six. You are not candid. What is candor? Candor is when you say what you mean. And you mean what you say. You are not candid. There is too much. What we call self-censorship. No one ever is always censoring what they say, or they say something and then they minimise the point they just made. Oh no, Pastor, I just wanted to say I'm feeling really unhappy in the church at the moment. Okay, so that's the truth. Yeah, no, it's not that it's that bad. It's just that, um, yeah, no, I think you're really nice, actually, but oh, that's self-censorship. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Don't try to control other people's opinion of you. Be authentic. Amen? Oops. Sorry. Don't let it distract you. It's fine. It's just a glass. (laughs) All right. Number seven. You're a people pleaser. You can't say no. So the result of not being able to say no... Is that you're always late or overcommitted. You know those people where they come to a meeting and then they say, Sorry, sorry, the over the, the, the last meeting overran. The problem wasn't that the last meeting overran, the problem was that you didn't have the assertiveness skills to actually say, You know what, guys, the meeting has gone over by 20 minutes. I need to actually go to my next meeting. Because you're afraid of their opinion of you. Amen. You know how on the African continent The meeting ends when the person leading the meeting Has said, it's over now You may go We have to pluck up the courage To say no Some of you struggle with that Just say to the person next to you, no (laughs) Do you know that you can only embrace The yes of your life You can only embrace the yes of your life if you say no to some things. What do you need to start saying no to right now in your life? What do you continuously feel guilty about? Have you noticed that a lot of people don't know how to make appointments with themselves? They don't know how to make appointments with themselves. So it's easier for me to say Sorry I can't meet with you right now Because I've got a meeting with Jimmy It's easier for me to say that Than for me to come to a place of saying Sorry I can't make that meeting I just need my my me time Sorry I can't make that meeting I'm reading that book That Paul recommended the other day Amen Because of fear of man Some of you are not nice to be around. I'm not speaking from personal experience. I'm just talking about my general knowledge of (laughs) human beings. Some of you are not nice to be around. Do you know why? You don't have that me time. You don't have that me time. Do you know that your personal development, working on yourself, refilling your tank, is the best gift you can give the people around you? I'm so busy with so many things that I cannot afford to not have my me time to recharge myself. You know, what the problem is many people don't do that because they feel guilty. They feel like they're being selfish. Talking about the fear of man. Number eight, you see man as your source. You see man is your source of promotion your source of validation and your source of happiness ladies I just want to say something to you don't look to your husband as your source of happiness don't say if my happy just changed one two three then I'll be happy because it means that their behavior will control you their behavior Will determine your mood I've said before I'm not going to allow someone else's weaknesses To control my mood Or my behavior Yet you have so many people They go to work And what's the first thing they ask when they get to work What mood is the boss in today (laughs) Why should it matter What mood the boss is in today That shouldn't change How I am Because if I'm centered on God And if the fear of the Lord is bigger than the boss's mood, the boss's mood won't control me. So you see everyone spending their whole day trading on eggshells. Whole day. Because they're bound by the fear of man. Number nine. You constantly project your false self. It's a self-protective mechanism. I mentioned it earlier on. So there's this pseudo self that you have that you keep projecting onto the people around you. This is me, this is me. And very often it's based on a lie, isn't it? And the lie that it's based on is if I show you this side, you will like this side better. And if I make myself vulnerable and I show you my real self, you'll reject that. But have you noticed that very often we actually love and appreciate and accept people's real self. That's the side we can truly connect with. Often before I counsel people, I actually say to them, because I can see that they're nervous about my opinion of them. And I say, guys, I just want to say it up front. I've been in hundreds and hundreds of hours of coaching and counseling, and I promise you, nothing you say is going to shock me. That's the work I do. I'm always surrounded by human nature and human depravity. There'll be no surprises. And then people are a bit more relaxed. When they understand that they're accepted as they are. Who do you need to level with in your life right now? Who do you need to level with? Number 10, you struggle to make yourself vulnerable, and as a result, you can't be emotionally intimate. You see, you can only truly be intimate with someone. I'm talking about emotional intimacy when there's some degree of vulnerability. And have you noticed that very often in your friendship, that's the key to the breakthrough? Very often in your marriage, that's the key to the breakthrough. It's when someone can make themselves vulnerable. With some of you, we've grown deeper in our relationship after you were comfortable with vulnerability. You can only see it when people get to know someone else and they're just in performance mode. Sometimes I see it, but I don't say anything. Huh? And you can see they're just trying to put their best foot forward. But the breakthrough comes when there's vulnerability. Some of you have to learn to be more vulnerable. To actually be comfortable in weakness. Bible tells us that his strength is made perfect in weakness. I don't know about you, but I need his perfect strength in my life. So I must be comfortable being weak before him. Bible says let's run boldly. Let's enter boldly the throne of. Yeah. doesn't say the throne of self-righteousness doesn't say the throne of performance. It says, let's, let's enter boldly the throne of grace where we may receive what? Grace. Yeah, where we may receive mercy. By definition, the word mercy and receiving mercy implies that you're not perfect. In the Hebrew, it's actually the word has said, and it's actually, a com- it's actually a covenantal word. It's God's acceptance of you based on his promise. Not your performance. I don't know about you, but I need his mercy. Number 11. You're more concerned about saving face with people than God's opinion. Number 12. You're indecisive. So you keep second guessing yourself because of your fear of other people's opinion. So you make a decision. You feel it's the right decision. But then afterwards you go on a whole journey of just like, yeah, but I'm not too sure. But what will so and so say? What will this person think? And please, when I talk about the fear of man, I'm not saying you mustn't seek counsel. I'm not saying you mustn't seek other people's wisdom. What I'm saying to you this morning is the fear of the Lord must weigh so heavily that it displaces the fear of man. You don't need external validation from people. God has validated you. I come to you for counsel because I value your wisdom and I see God using you and speaking through you. But ultimately, the fear of the Lord is what reigns in my life. Number 14, your mood is controlled by the praise and rejection of man. So you walk into a room with a blank slate, no opinion of yourself. And then when someone says, I really liked your performance, great voice, then you feel relieved and you feel, ah. I'm going to feel that one of the marks of an adult, adults have opinions about themselves. Adults are able to assess themselves Little children, what do they do? Daddy, daddy, who's the, who's the fastest? Daddy, daddy, look at, look at my skills Daddy, daddy, who's the best dancer? Yeah? They need external validation from their parents When you become an adult, you're free from that if you say to me, great job, Paul, you're reinforcing what I already know about myself. Amen? Amen? Yes. Seriously. If someone comes to you and they says, wow, you look so great, they should be re- that statement should be reinforcing how you already see yourself. Number 15. You're controlled and triggered by other people's emotional state. You're controlled and you're triggered by other people's emotional state. Oh, so-and-so is having a bad day, therefore I'm having a bad day. So-and-so looks sad. It must be my fault. And you go and you speak to those people and you're speaking to them because you're so anxious, so you have to do something about it. Jimmy, why are you so sad? Jimmy, it's irritating me because you're not smiling and laughing. It's irritating me so much. Jimmy's mood is now controlling my emotional state. Not healthy. That's why the fear of man will be a snare. Amen? Amen? Now, watch this. Look at some alternatives here, deeper, more alternatives. In Acts chapter 5, verse 29, Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. Straight. We must obey God rather than human beings. And they continued teaching. In Acts 4, 18 to 19, this is amazing because it shows us that the fear of the Lord in our lives results in freedom from the fear of man. It says, then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of the Lord Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him. You be the judges. Next time someone tries to force you to do something, just say to them, guys, what's your advice? Mom, dad, cousins, guys, uh, what's your advice? Please just give me input. Which is better, for me to listen to you guys or to listen to God? Right. <laughs> You see, the antidote to the fear of man is God consciousness. Where you're more conscious of God and his words than other people's. Where in comparison to God's words, other people's words are tiny and puny. You know what the sad thing is, guys? When I talk to people, when I counsel people, you can see a whole lot of people controlled by other people's words. When you just ask them more than two questions deep, you can see that the pattern in their life is they've been controlled by other people's words and opinions. Everything in their life revolves around that. Look at Isaiah 26 verse 3. You will keep in perfect peace. How many of you want to be free from anxiety? You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. All whose thoughts are fixed on you. This is so powerful. You know, people spend years and years in therapy, and they can't deal with this issue. But in just one scripture, we have the solution. Mm-hmm. What does trusting God look like? Keeping your thoughts fixed on Him. Right. Thinking, keeping your thoughts fixated on God. That is extremely powerful. When you are in a classroom teaching, how many teachers do we have here? I know we've got a couple of teachers You're more God-conscious than you are of the children's rebellion. You know what happens when you're God-conscious? You speak from a place of authority. Jesus was like that. That's why Jesus would always say, I'm just doing what I'm seeing my father doing. Why? His mind was fixed on the father. Fixed on the father's goodness. Bible speaks about his array of holiness. Fixed on that the splendor of His holiness, fixed on that. It helps you to love people. When someone is rejecting you, your focus is, God, how do you see this person? When your child says something to you, you're so fixed on God's perspective that you speak God's life into the child. On our way to church this morning, uh, those of you who don't know, I've got three boys, and my youngest, Daniel, Daniel, he says, oh, I just, I can't wait till like, I get Jaden's bike. And I just felt for him. And I felt God's heart for him. You know, sometimes it's the last born. Last born? Like those words. Last born, not third born. Okay. Sometimes it's the last born, what happens? As the last born, you get hand me downs And I thought to myself, that's not God's portion for him. And that's what he's expecting. I'm speaking to some of you right now. Because your view of God is you'll always get hand-me-downs. I said, Daniel, by the time you're ready for Jaden's bike, it will be old. I can get you your own new one. You don't have to always wait for Jaden's. But his mentality was, I can't wait till like, I get Jaden's bike. <laughs> and some of you with the relationship with God, you're living that way. You said to yourself, but you know, people like me. You would always get hand-me-downs. Nothing wrong with hand-me-downs. Sometimes when we wear hand-me-downs, you look like you're wearing your big brother's clothes. And very often your big brother is bigger. Okay, So they're not always great. But the point is you can believe God for his portion for your life. And the breakthrough comes when you're focused on his thoughts. If I wasn't focused on God's thoughts this morning toward my, my son, I could have just thought, yippee, he's not expecting something brand new. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I like it in the ESV. It says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. What's having mind share right now? What are you dwelling on right now? Then finally, number six, a seared conscience If you want to know whether your life is dedicated to the Lord or not Ask yourself, has my conscience become seared in certain areas of my life? You know, if you, how many of you have been burnt by an iron before? Oh, so many hands. (laughs) Guys, what were you doing? (laughs) My kids are learning to cook certain things. And I said to them, as my wife was teaching them some things, I said, please, please, top of mind, they're not allowed to do this unless supervised by an adult. Okay? But when you get burnt somewhere, what happens? You lose your feeling there. It affects all your, your pain centers, doesn't it? You lose that sense of feeling. And you know what happens? When you live a life of sin and you go deeper and deeper into a particular thing, you can reach a point where it's a non-issue. It's a non-issue for you. You're so comfortable in that place. And very often we use that as an example when we're talking about hardcore sins. And you know different churches have what they call the bad, the top three that are terrible. You know, different in different churches. So whatever your top three is, don't focus on that. But focus on the things that we sometimes take for granted. Maybe you're in a place in your family where there's a lot of shouting. Let's call it verbal abuse. Let's give it the word that we should give it. Right? There's a lot of mocking. There's a lot of coarse jesting. There's a lot of stuff people watch on TV and they've watched it for many years so they're comfortable with it. Your conscience becomes seared. Now we can go deep into explaining where your conscience is. Some people believe that it's actually part of the human spirit, part of your spirit. But it can become seared. You don't feel anything anymore. If you study people, I know there are some people in this church that like uh, criminal psychology and so on, right? If you study people who kill other people, what happens when you see the pattern of what they do? They start off it was just one per year. Then it's one per month. Then it's one per week. Then it's one per night. Or per day, you know? also kill people during the day, I guess. (laughs) Amen? What's happening? The person's conscience is being seared. It happens also with sexual immorality. Person messes up once, the devil plays mind games on that individual. So instead of, let me repent and let me move on, it becomes like, I've done it once. So what difference would it make? It'll make a big difference. Get more Demons. Get more demons. And seven demons is way more than one. And the impact of seven is way greater than one. That was for someone. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Now the Spirit expressly states that in later times, some will abandon the faith to follow deceitful spirits see when people are involved in cults and that kind of thing they actually have their deceitful spirits doctrines of devils the bible talks about that's why it's often difficult to free them right they will abandon the faith to follow deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons how many of you know that demons teach sometimes you can go sometimes i'll go into a bookshop And I'll grab a hold of a particular book and I'll just think, okay, it's psychology or it's some motivational thing. And immediately I have this piercing headache, piercing migraine. I'm like, what's going on here? There's something in the Spirit of God within me that doesn't resonate with the Spirit there. And that's why with some of these books, they become very popular and they become best selling, even certain movies, because they're doctrines of devils. I don't want to give out some of the names and so on, I don't want to cause big debates, etc. And that's why you'll see, I I remember speaking to someone they're saying, is this okay? Is this doctrine fine or not? And I said, when you started reading that particular book, could you put it down? No, it's like I was hooked. It's like I was addicted to it. Doctrines of devils. Now watch this, verse 2. It says, influenced by the hypocrisy of liars, whose consciences are seared, With a hot iron They will prohibit marriage And require abstinence From certain foods That God has created To be received with thanksgiving By those who believe And know the truth What's God's alternative? Be quick to repent If you don't want your conscience To be seared in a particular area Keep your heart soft Before the Lord And be quick to repent 2nd Corinthians chapter 7 Verse 8 to 11 Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter I do not regret it Though I did regret it I see that my letter hurt you But only for a little while Yet now I'm happy You know Paul the apostle He didn't mind you know Ah, My letter hurt you Ah, It's fine it's okay It was just a little while, guys. It was probably quite a number of months, but anyway. Yet now I'm happy. Okay, Paul, carry on. Not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. Because your sorrow led you to repentance. If you see your children being sorrowful concerning something they did bad, don't try and rescue them from that. Very often it's godly sorrow that's good for them. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Mm. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. If you've been weeping concerning your sin, that's okay. Just don't do it for years and years. But that's okay. Go through that process. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. I want to encourage you, embrace true repentance as part of the dedicated life. Amen. Let's pray.